Welcome to the Voice Hacks Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Z. On the Voice Hacks Podcast, I'll be talking to some of rock and metal's best singers, coaches, and experts about what goes into the mysterious and amazing sounds we make with our voices. If you like this podcast, please help spread the word by sharing it with your friends, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram, and tag me and my guests. I'm at Metal Mary Z on Instagram. Don't forget to leave the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, follow me on YouTube at Voice Hacks by Mary Z. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. It's Mary Z. We are back once again for the Voice Hacks podcast. This week, I am really delighted to have on John Davis of Conan. How are you doing today, John? Yeah, really good. Thanks. So just... um only I've come home about 10 minutes ago and lots of cool stuff's happening at the moment. So life's good. That's great. You guys, uh, it's festival season, obviously. Uh-huh. And I've noticed that you've been on quite a few festivals this year. I wanted to start with that leading us off. Are you done with festivals for the year or you have some more coming up yet? No, I'd say we're, I'd say we're maybe halfway through the festivals that we had or have scheduled um we head off to brazil to sao paulo in a couple of weeks and then we come home from that and we're in poland and then i think the weekend after that we're in france and then we got a couple of wow. couple of days off and then we're we're off out again we're going to canada end of october i think that's getting announced today and then canada's not a festival though it's like a it's like eight or nine shows and then we've got france again and then i think we go to F- finland at some point so we got a f- we got a few things, a few things going on. Uh, more than a few. That's amazing. Mm. Are you by any chance? So you guys did Psycho California before, right? Uh, we did, yes. Yeah, and so by any chance, uh, are you, you're not doing Psycho Las Vegas? That's like next this weekend, I think. Yeah, um, we're not playing this weekend, though. But we are. We're in a position now to get our US US visas arranged. So. We are slowly making when this Canada tour is announced, and our our booking agent for your side of the pond has got a little bit less pressure on his shoulders. Then I'll um, we'll we'll start talking a bit more about a tour in the US because honestly, I really miss your country, and uh, we're dead excited to get over again. What do you miss about it? What did you like about it when you were here? I miss the open road. I miss just the, the the fact that we're touring in America because it's something that's it's always been something kind of special to me. I remember I was a child and I told my mum that I wanted to live in America when I was older. That that won't be happening now because I have children. But um, I uh, I'm a wife in New Zealand, so I think we're probably pushing the envelope if we all of a sudden decide to move to America. We got enough. Oh my no- goodness, yes, enough things going on. But um, yeah, the crowds are always super cool. There's just something a bit different, and it's you know, we uh, touring anywhere is awesome, but there's just something a bit different about being in America, and it's kind of something I've always aspired to since I started this band. So, not being able to do it for a few years because of this COVID stuff is has been uh, annoying. So we're just happy that we can do it again. Yeah, what a miserable time for all touring musicians. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just horrible. Totally. 
And also, I mean, it's a lot of Americans, since they're already here, they kind of get oblivious to how incredibly difficult it is to get performance visas to come here and the prohibitive cost Mm -hmm. of that as well. You know, you got to you got to save up a little bit before you you come you get it. I mean, for us to go to our lawyer, you know, for them to even do the work of just getting the petition, it's around like two thousand dollars. And then, yes, uh, the cost after that is just the appointment you know, going to go and see the consulate in, Norm- in London or Belfast, we normally go and, uh, you know, have like the interview. We haven't had to do the interview for the last few visas because our passports always had the last visa in. So I think the way that nice. uh, your border people, I should say, looked at that was, you know, they don't need to come in and see us. We, they're legit already. So, But I think because there's been a gap, I think we'll probably have to go and take a, a trip to London. So that's going to a slightly added complication. But yeah, it's a small price to pay because not a lot of bands get to come over to America. And we're of a stature now, fortunately, where we don't have a problem getting our visa. So we... um make the most of it. No, that's really wonderful. I mean, I have several good friends, including my my husband, who um, he's from Brazil, and he came here on an artist visa originally. He's mm-hmm. been a citizen for quite some time, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's really cool when that ends up happening i i am glad at least we do we do give some good artist visas but man it's not easy but it is cool the advantage of getting over to the continent here is you get to do a long tour so you can go for six weeks i mean in a row you can really maximize that visa the visa can also last you a long time so you can do more than one tour in a year you know so canada's amazing too i have a lot of fun touring in canada Mm -hmm. you guys have uh so you said eight or nine dates are you going to just kind of sweep across the top there like the usual routing i'm not sure what the usual route routing is but we're going we're landing in montreal and i'm heading over to vancouver so i guess we will follow the uh, the path you were thinking of there um but i couldn't tell you exactly the places we're going to go i do know i remember saskatoon because that was like a, an awesome word and we're going to calgary and we're going to edmonton so i know of like some of the spots are going to go along the way, but Montreal is going to be good, Toronto. And they're just, you know, it's going to be great. I mean, it's going to be, it's, it's, uh, we can't wait, honestly. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. That's so exciting. And also, I'm, I was excited to hear you say you're going to Brazil because I know, um, from having been there and for my husband, how amazing, I mean, the crowds are just, Wow, it's, it's like some of the going to be some of the best crowds mm-hmm. you you know you'll ever have ever anywhere mm-hmm. in the world. You mm-hmm. know, enthusiastic as hell fans. You guys have been there before. Have you been there to Brazil before? No, we've never been. Never been to South America. We've traveled far and wide. You know, we've been Russia. You know, I don't think many English bands will be going to Russia for a while. Wow. Uh, we were yeah, there. we were there in like 2019. I think it was. Um, so we feel pretty privileged to because it's a beautiful country, but obviously the, the politics at the moment mean that we wouldn't be allowed there. Um, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, no, um, most of Europe, obviously, but never been to South, I mean, never been to Africa either. So never been to South America. So it's our first show, Sao Paulo, this festival called Septembo Negro, I think it's called. And um, cool. yeah, it's going to be awesome. 
It's going to be, I'm just preparing you. It's going to be, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> the Bra- Brazilians are an amazing, amazing audience. Just phenomenally, almost mind blowing. They're just like super enthusiastic fans and they yep. come out in droves. So, but um, with all this, so this is obviously like more of a vocal oriented podcast. We just talked to vocalists, vocal coaches, all metal people. I wanted to see, you know, how did you end up doing vocals? Did you, is this something you were always doing, kind of growing up jamming and doing vocals? Or was it sort of thrust upon you? Some people are like, no one else would do it. So I did it. Mm-hmm. How did it come about being the vocalist here? Well, it was never going to be in doubt, to be honest, that I was going to sing and, and play guitar. But it was never an easy thing for me to get into because I found it quite difficult at first to play and sing at the same time. My A lot of the songs I would listen to and try and play along to were not performed by a guitarist singing at the same time. So there's that like patting your head and rubbing your tummy thing, which is hard to do. And I yes. I had to get my head around that at first while I was playing guitar and singing. And I remember, I remember the first time I ever tried to do it. And I was just listening to Nirvana a lot at that point. So some Nirvana riffs are easy to sing and play over, like, for example, Lithium or Smells Like Teen Spirit or Breed. Some others are really hard to sing and play over, like, for example, Come As You Are. So I remember trying to teach myself some of those songs and a couple of the songs off in Nutero. And I had a microphone and I put a piece of cardboard around it because I thought it needed that so my voice would be directed into it. I don't know why I thought that because it was complete. That's cool. It was, <laughs> it, it was absolutely capable of picking up my voice anyway. It was only me in, in our lounge. And uh, I think I must have been like 16 or 17. And my girlfriend was there at the time. She thought it was hilarious because I had this like cone over my face. <laughs> and I remember around that, not so long after that, we were practicing at my friend in my friend's basement. Again, just playing like Faith No More, Nirvana type of stuff. His dad was sort of like, you, well, you want to stop shouting? Stop shouting so much and sing. And he kind of was like trying to give me vocal lessons. But I think my thing has always been just shout in tune. And then over time, now now I'm getting on a bit. My voice has got a little bit more texture to it. And um, I can I can do that now and it not just sound like I'm shouting. It sounds like there's a bit of, it sounds like it's deliberately sort of has some color to it. Um, but yeah, I've always been fascinated with listening to my own voice, sing, listen to myself sing. Like I used to record myself on my mum and dad's stereo when I was like, you know, at eight, seven or eight years old. And I they had a little microphone and you could record on this on their stereo. They also you, you you probably remember the stereos that had like a tape deck on there, a radio, oh yeah, and a turntable. And my mum and dad had yep. a, a good one. I remember I had the speakers mounted up in the corners in the lounge. Oh, yeah. I was to, I'd sing into the thing and sing like, please release me or Ingleberg Humperdinck and um, New York, New York. I don't know why those songs, but I used to be able to belt them out. Great crooner classics, though. Yeah. I don't know why I thought I'd ever be a crooner. I'm clearly not built for that. But, but anyway, yeah, I always wanted to be a vocalist who could play guitar, mainly because Kirk Cobain was the guitarist that I was obsessed with when I started to make some headway in my own development musically. And then uh, you pick up other styles, then, you know, like Max Cavalera um, is a, like an idol to me and was then and is now. And uh, I can now call him a friend, you know, it's like insane. But like being able to, being able to sing and play was, yeah, didn't come naturally, but now that I'm able to do it, it's something I really cherish. 
That's a really difficult skill. I am pretty lousy at singing and playing at the same time. I, I try to, I got to reduce the piano like so much to yeah. be able to do it. Yeah. And I really admire you guys that put a lot of time into it, particularly guitarists. I think that is um, a really intricate instrument. I think it's really, really tough to sing and play. And you can see that you, you've you been working on it since you were, since childhood. That's how you're able to do it. You know, I mean, it's really not magic. It's a lot of hard work. Yeah, yeah. That's true. So when you're writing, are you thinking about that? Are you thinking, okay, I'm going to have to sing this and play <laughs> play this at the same time? Or are you just like, nah, we're going to go hard in the studio? Well, actually, to my detriment, we seldom um, will bear in mind the vocals when we write the songs. We don't, all, <laughs> we, don't, we don't often write the songs with a microphone set up and I'm like singing along. This doesn't, that doesn't often happen. Usually the song, I'll get like a line or a couple of words and I'll think of a riff that might go over that and, oh, that fits with the way that, that, feel, that fits with the where those syllables are jumping about. And I can imagine how that would work. But then often when we write the song, we record the vocals sort of over the recorded tracks, obviously. And then when we come to start rehearsing it properly to start playing it live, I'm like, holy shit, I didn't think about this when we wrote this song. Like, for example, Eye to Eye to Eye, was like almost impossible for me to do when we first started it. On this album, Righteous Alliance, the bit where it's saying, um, where the riff comes in originally, and, and I'm saying uh, um, uh, sent forth on, on a whisper of death, that that riff's easy. But then when I'm doing um, Hummuth, the Righteous Alliance, and trying to play that riff while I'm singing in a different pattern is super difficult. And I'm finding myself like holding back on one of the syllables just to make the riff click into place more easily. Yeah, that's a common issue. So I think what we'll do is now, we're, now that we don't have COVID anymore, and we can actually get together and write these songs in the same room. On our next album, we'll start to actually rehearse these songs like we used to do when I was in the twenties. Now we'll record. Yeah. Now we'll go into the studio after a few demo sessions, and we'll then record it. And um, that's a different way of doing it. And I think we'll probably focus more on. But anyway, it works. Whatever we do, it sounds good. I mean, this is really cool because everybody that I talked, it always surprises me the the variety of approaches. We all think like we're we're recording albums, we're doing the same thing, but everybody seems to have a different way that they do it. You know, some people are thinking about and planning around the live. Some people are going with their organic feel of the music and then worrying about that later. Mm -hmm. And there is no right or wrong approach to painting with whatever colors or doing it in whatever order. So I'm always fascinated by uh, the variety I encounter actually not not everybody's doing it the same way and as you mentioned it's a totally different experience when you're all stuck at home recording versus being together in the same room I mean that's just it loses something or do you feel like it loses something or did or not maybe not in the final composition because during the recording process you spend enough time together to get the song sound in the way you want it but it definitely loses something in the writing process because right, I mean, over lockdown, you know, it was kind of like it was hard because it was it was good and bad because it was it was good because we got more time to slowly bring these songs to life, and uh, we you know had a lot of time to reflect whether we liked it or not. You know, I would come up with something that I thought was cool, I send it to Chris and Johnny, but they wouldn't necessarily reply straight away because we weren't all in the same writing a riff frame of mind i might think of something at two in the morning jump onto my little recording setup here record it send it off to just a click track 
and it might be a three or four days or three or four hours until they reply. And um, in that sense, it made things, it helped to give like space to the ideas. And because of that, I think we filtered out a lot of stuff that wasn't brilliant, but that may have sort of found its way onto the album if we hadn't have had that time to reflect. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, and it it was in that way it was good. It was bad in another sense because there was it kind of took the spontaneity away from the writing process. But we did recover some of that because when we got in the studio eventually to record drums and guitar and and, and get like the structure down, that was towards the end of uh, 2021. I think it was November we finally got in the studio. Wow. So we're gone from December 2019 when we were on tour with Cavalier Conspiracy. We went into the studio for a day or two. We did some demos. And then from then until late 2021, we didn't get to record it. So that's a lot of time for stuff to... Wow, that's a lot of time. Mm, it is a long time for, for stuff to stew in your brain. And, um, and a lot of ideas were a lot sort of crossed out because they didn't quite work when they may have worked in a different context if we'd have recorded earlier. So it definitely made the album what it is today by having that opportunity to spend so much time reflecting on stuff. In a way, it forced you guys to do it differently, you know, to just to do something different. I mean, you know, if you have a long career as a musician, it is hard to not just you know, repeat dead things. And so in a way, it's probably an interesting, just an interesting creative period of your catalog, I feel like. Yeah. It was the first uh, first Conan album that we've written where we used a drum machine when I was writing the songs. Like I've got, I've got a version of A Cleaved Head No Longer Plots. That's all with the drum machine. It sounds like a really bad Gary Newman song. It's just like... <laughs> It's like, it's terrible, but it's like, okay, you can see where this came from. You know, you can see the origins of, of the opening track on the album there. I've got, a f I've got a full, with vocals and everything, version of this song that didn't make it onto the album that's getting used in another movie. And that's also kind of cool. That was just a drum machine and, and me shouting into what was just a handheld stereo recorder. Oh, that's cool. Copying that onto the computer. I, I have this other band called Ungraven, which was like, was meant to be like an industrial kind of experimental thing that was just me and a drum machine that evolved into being like a three-piece band which is not where i wanted it to go so we're not really doing much with it at the moment sure the techniques i used to write the music for engraving was just me and a drum machine and me an easy drummer now easy drummer's got a conan plug-in now so oh yeah you got like conan style drum plug-in for that so i used a few i love that yeah I mean, it doesn't quite sound like Johnny, but it's kind of our style. Yeah, I use a few of those now when I'm working on riffs and make sense too, right, doesn't it? That's a bit surreal, right? Like that one of your band members has sort of been computerized. <laughs> Maybe one of these days he'll be computerized 100% and then we can save on his flights then. <laughs> And visas and all that. Actually, I've seen a few bands now go out without a bass player. I'm so sorry, bass players. Mm -hmm. I think we need you. Disclaimer. But I have seen some things. You know what's scary is vo voice fonts are going to be, are very quickly coming around. 
soon they won't need us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there'll be no such thing as live music before you know it. Yeah, it's really weird. But mm. you know what? At the same time, um, I think there is a lot of people actually craving that. I also feel like in the digital era, I'm almost seeing like a surge in people kind of wanting some imperfections and some live music. Yeah. A few of the people that I've interviewed recently have Twitch followings, which I'm not there yet with the kids on Twitch. Mm. They have brought up a good point that they're actually they're actually singing like that's just how their voice sounds. It's yeah. it's a live stream, so they're not tuning it. And I think yeah. it's interesting how there has been a re a circle back around to that to the less processed because I think after a while people don't like hearing that processed perfectly tuned mm-hmm. sound. That's certainly not what you guys do musically. I think if any of them listen to me singing on stream or Twitch. They'd probably be all about processing vocals because I probably I'm not I probably wouldn't be the nicest experience of someone hearing me shout down a shout down a gaming microphone like this. But, um, <laughs> but why not? That could be cool though. It would be cool. I'm sure it would be awesome. I just I'd probably I'd probably be cringing the whole time. But yeah, Twitch and all that is cool. You know, it is a different kind of delivery, isn't it? But live music's all we've ever done. We had the opportunity to do like a digital live stream and I was going to do like a cone, like an acoustic cone and set. And I'm, I'm glad I didn't, to be honest. I'd just keep doing what we do. And COVID may just sit out for a little while, but we appreciate being back now. I mean, what you're doing is obviously working. The band has grown considerably and you're booked constantly. So obviously people love it. <laughs> so it's kind of like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah, yeah. When... You're doing all these festivals and you're touring, you know, as vocalists, do you have anything that you do? Do you put your set in a certain order? Do you actually do any vocal warm-ups? Do you just kind of let things be organic? Are you trying to get certain types of rest or are you just flowing with things when you're on tour? How are you maintaining your vocals? You're pretty aggressive, a lot of aggressive things you do. So how are you keeping that up for all these shows? Well, you know, on a tour... It's more difficult because, well, as you would expect, as the tour goes on, your, your voice might sort of lose a bit of itself. What I found in the last couple of tours, I was actually able to maintain my voice quite quite well by not drinking cold water around set time and not drinking alcohol around or coffee around set time or milk. So the only thing I would put, you know, down my throat while, around when we're about to play is like room temperature water. Vocal zones are another idea. You know, I, I use one or two of them per, per in each set when I feel like it. I actually don't think we sell the vocal zone here in the States, but all of the European people I know use them. Yeah. They're like pastilles, like little lozenges with different things in them, different herbs in them. Yeah. So they help too. But more than anything else, I think having room temperature water on stage with you is, is such a good idea. Often, and we ask for this in our rider, if if and if that if we get it then we'll me and chris normally will have like a warm drink and we'll have raw ginger in there and honey and water that's it lemon that's juice nice. we get it too I mean, that, we ask for that on our rider because that's just something nice to sip on for the hour leading up to the show at a festival that's really all we'll have if we're on like a longer tour then we'll try and do that before each show but in addition to that for me personally it's making sure that i'm, I'm resting I'll always try and get an hour's rest within like the two or three hour period before we play. So if I can go and have a nap somewhere, then I'll always, even if it's in a busy dressing room, I'll just go and have a sleep because 
it restores my own energy, which I can then transfer to my vocal cords because obviously they 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 will like any other muscle will get tired if I don't rest them enough. And and also something that I'm more conscious of lately because. I'm not like a fitness fanatic by any means, and my body will de- will be, will demonstrate that. But one of the things that of lately, I, uh, late, I'm trying to be a little bit more conscious of what I eat, and I think being making sure that I have stuff that will give me energy before we go on stage will definitely help my voice last through a whole set. Um, so you know, being not not having too many carbs, but making sure that I have some. Because I find that carbs in the form of, I don't know, bananas or some pasta or something, that'll give me the energy to go all the way through the set without feeling that my throat's getting tired. Occasionally, towards the end of the set, it will start to wilt a little bit, especially because I'm singing higher up. So my vocal style is all about tightening my vocal cords. And that can be tiring for them, you know, especially because we've not been touring, we've been doing festivals. I'm not really keeping those muscles in the right place in between shows. So like I'll go for a three weeks or a week or two weeks without playing a show, therefore not singing in that range. So my voice sort of like loses a little bit of its muscle memory, I guess. But I don't know the science behind it. All I know is that if I don't play often, I can I can still hit the right spot with my voice just as easily, but it will get more tired towards the end of the set if I've if we're not on tour. I mean, that stands to reason. I mean, uh their muscles, their ligaments, you know. It's just like an athlete where, you know, it's just going to, if you keep, if you keep it up a little bit, the fatigue will be a little less. Yeah. And if you're spacing it out more, you know, fatigue will be a little bit more. Yeah. But that's really interesting how too you know, you mentioned so many things that are so crucial, you know, the body, the body is the instrument. So it really does matter. Like, you know, what you're putting into it. <laughs> I mean, and, and it's not that fun. I always tell everybody, it's not that fun to be the singer on tour. <laughs> if you're taking it seriously, if you want to yeah. sound decent, you know? Yeah. You can quickly do embarrassing stuff. If you don't warm your vocals up, like the warm ups that I do are just basic stuff. I like hum under my breath if I'm stood in the crowd watching the sport act or if I'm backstage, me and Chris will do some sort of warm ups together just and we'll like challenge each other and that can be a bit of fun. But um yeah, I I, I don't I don't do a lot of warm ups actually. But I do I, I probably most of the time I don't do enough. But uh yeah, most of the time I'll just sort of just try and get the vo- the voice warmed up a little bit. I don't do any of the facial stretches or anything like that, which I probably should now that I'm getting old. So it's going to be more important, I think, over the next few years. When I'm coaching people, I'm always telling them 10 to 15 minutes of warm-ups. Don't run the marathon before you run the marathon, especially if you're doing festival sets. Are your festival sets longer than your tour sets or about the same these days? They're about the same these days, yeah. But I mean, in our earlier days, our festival set would be like half an hour, 35 minutes, and then our club shows would be 45 to an hour, whereas now the both shows are around about an hour usually okay good yeah because that's that's a pretty like that's kind of for metal vocalists like the max set you know what you're doing up there it's not and i mean everybody has to always forgets like just having live drums just the amount of noise even though very few people are using amps anymore are you guys using amps are you plugging in like direct through kempers or something oh no definitely definitely um using amps Okay, yeah. Yeah, I know campers are cool, but it's not it's not for me. Well, yeah, cuz it's a different sound, right? For what you guys do, it seems more appropriate to use amps. Yeah. I want to feel it. I don't want to just know it sounds cool out front. 
And I want to be part of that too. So it has the sound good on stage. And you know, that's the thing about metal. It's like the stage volume alone is a huge factor uh, in how much we're projecting our voice. Like even if you have in-ears, you know, keeping up that intensity, that level, the high notes, the whole deal of everything you do up there. Uh, it's not like, uh, it's not, it's not, it's not an acoustic. This is not, uh, you know, the Lilith fair or whatever. <laughs> it's words. just not, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's stuff that requires this, you know, an hour set. I always feel like is almost where people should max out. And heavy music. I know some of the bigger artists need to be doing like an hour and a half and stuff, but yeah. man, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, I always make sure each album has one song on it where I'm not singing. Um, and I've on on every in fact, let me think now. Yeah, I think every song so far, every album so far, I've done it where one song is uh Chris or whoever else was on bass at that time. They did vocals on one song because then we've got like always got a song or two that we can put in the set, which will give me a bit of a rest, a little bit of tactics. That's a super great idea. Mm -hmm. If you can actually get vocal rest during the show at any point, that's a lot of economy that you're saving over a tour, even if it's just a song, you know. What's the longest tour you guys have done? Like, how long have you been out before without taking it? Or, I mean, actually, that could be a combination of destinations. Um, how long have you gone? I think five weeks was probably the longest tour we've been on. And that was in the USA, Canada. That was five weeks all in one go. We've toured Europe like a month at a time, a couple of times. But yeah, America was the longest one. Yeah. What was Japan like for you guys? I love Japan. Japan was like absolutely brilliant. Not just the shows, but the whole like the cultural thing was like such a such a eye opener. We arrived, stayed in uh, our friend's house. His wife and him gave up his bed for us to share. So me and Chris went top and tail. Johnny slept on the floor. I think they may have slept on the couch or in their child room, or just there was just to give. To, we didn't want them to give up their bed for us, we, and we didn't know it was going to happen until they'd already just did it anyway. Then. You know, we we played in Tokyo, Osaka, and Nagoya. So, you know, I've got loads of cool memories of um, like Nagoya Castle we went to, and I watched like a ninjutsu demonstration whilst eating green tea ice cream in this like medieval Japanese castle. It's like this is insane. Cherry blossoms just everywhere, and then that day we played. That was the day after we played in Nagoya. I think it wasn't such a long drive to get to Osaka played in a basement in Osaka and the, one of the support bands was all of their instruments were made out of bits of metal that they found on the road. And was, they were a metal band with all regular instruments, but the percussionist had a drum kit as well as like bits of scaffolding and bin lids and all kinds of cool stuff. And then that night we drove overnight to Tokyo. We, you know, we, we drove Mount Fuji was just right in front of us almost the whole way and played in Tokyo. And uh, we were, our show coincided with the um, premiere uh, or matinee viewing of this documentary that we were part of um, called The Doom Doc uh, by these lads that we were friends with in the UK. They were in a band, Kurukuma, who were with us on that tour. They arranged it. So we had the premiere of that movie, you know, all, all so Japanese subtitles and the, the movie and, and like, we're in, the, we're in this documentary. And we're just like in amongst this like huge crowd watching it. It was just like, well, this is just like insane. How do we get here? And it was it was in this legendary venue called Earth Dom, 
in the Korean district in uh, in Tokyo, and it hadn't sold out for about ten or twelve years. And the last band to sell it out was Corrupted, but it was sold out that night, and it was just the best show ever. Honestly, like World War Z style crowd surfing. So you're on stage. I don't I don't wear glasses. I'm a little bit short sighted. So we're playing the songs, and it just felt like a constant stream of people crowd surfing wow. and jumping in again. And that, that's my memory of it is just how up for it they were at that show. And the, the people that we, there was a Japanese band that we were with as well called Granule. I'm not sure that they're going anymore now, but Hikari, uh, and I can't remember the other lads' names, but they they wouldn't let us lift any equipment. You know, they did the loading and the loads out. They just simply wouldn't let us touch anything. They were just lovely they were just being themselves. I don't think they were being extra polite just because of us. I think they were just being, that's how the culture is in Japan. And they were just, yeah. just, just so nice and looked after us the whole time, took us to cool restaurants and stuff. It was a blast. It was just, it was just so good. I had to pretend I was a guitar teacher to get my guitar through security. Like in America, if the guy says to you, what, why, what's that guitar for? Then you basically have to tell the truth and hope that you got a visa. But when we went over, when we yeah. went over there, and we do have visas for the USA, we always have. I hasten to add, if you're watching um, security official in the USA, <laughs> yeah, yeah, without fail, and you can check my passport. But anyway, in Japan, they were like, "So it's cool if you just tell them that you're a, a, a guitar tutor and you're just going to come on over to teach someone guitar." So that's what we all did. So I came through and said I was teaching someone guitar with my guitars. Chris did the same in his bass. And then Johnny's got his symbols, so we had to tell him that he was a, um, a drum teacher. And we all got money, we bothered, they were fine. Yeah, because that's the thing about the States. You can bring it in, they're immediately going to assume you're going to work. In the States, it's like either one of those things is work. So it doesn't really help you to, yeah. to teach or to, or to perform. They're going to be like, work, customs is going to be on you. It's going to be yeah. really tough. Um, they're very, very loath to let people in with an instrument. But obviously, that is completely different depending on where you go in the world. Um, that is so cool that you guys got to have that experience over there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a really, really unique and special place for music and a place that I feel like is one of the only places they still kind of give you the the old-fashioned rock star treatment, you know, in the world. It's really – and the fans are also just like closest people i would say to the south american fans and their enthusiasm and their you know excitement to yeah. see you there but a really safe place oh we're looking forward to brazil oh yeah it's gonna be off the chain i can't wait to hopefully i'll get to see some like footage hopefully somebody will film it since it's yeah. like festival and stuff um yeah because i i mean it's gonna be very similar like the wall of humans and all of that so yeah that's so cool forward to that yeah so i wanted to see um as far as vocals go, is there anything you've ever explored? Uh, I mean, you mentioned earlier some of your explorations when you were younger. Early, I wanted to circle back around to this industrial thing yeah. that you mentioned earlier, even though that's just a little side project. Just just from a vocal perspective, what's different about the vocals there than what you do with Conan? Well, actually, no difference whatsoever, and that, that and that that's one of the reasons why. I'm not really pushing it too hard at the moment. On the recordings, I think we tried to distort things slightly just on the recording process and make it sound a bit different. But I can really only sing one way. It started sounding too much like Conan. So that's why I was like, okay, hold on. I'm writing riffs here for a band that doesn't have a great following yet. Yeah. 
and they could these could work for Conan. So yeah, for that reason, I uh, not not diverting a lot of my energy in that direction right now. But yeah, vocally it was very vocally it was pretty much the same. And uh, I was trying to get Tyler, who plays drums, to do vocals because he does vocals in his other band Tuscar, and uh, I don't think he felt like doing it. So. Neither of us feel like doing vocals in that band. So I'm <laughs> just like, well, we're not going to go very far with this. So, but yeah, basically the, the vocals are very similar. That was, and that was an issue. Yeah. For a second there, I was like, oh, is it going to be like screaming or something or, you know, um, just something different maybe, yeah. but yeah. Um, yeah. So when you're getting ready for your shows and you're running into these situations where you're like, oh, we didn't really think about um, doing the vocals live. Do you ever make certain adjustments? Do you tune down? Are you guys already tuned down so far that you're not going to be able to do that? Do you, do you make some adjustments like that or you leave or you just practice and make it happen? Yeah, we practice a bit before we before we play the song. The last couple of albums, we've written the album without rehearsing it a great deal. So like you were alluding to, a lot of the sort of getting to know the songs from a performance perspective happens after the recording yes. has happened. Yes. So we, we've we never been on the road without the song being ready. But the, the, the process of getting it ready in the studio, uh, no, don't really have to make too many adjustments, although maybe I might like slide a syllable around here and there just to make it lock in with the riff a little bit easier, which I definitely did have to do on... Um, Righteous Alliance. Um, there's another song on there called Levitation Hoax. And that the opening riff to that is was originally kind of hard to sing over. But again, it just depends on where I come in. And am I like, am I, is my, uh, are, are the syllables I'm giving, are they accented by the kick or the snare? Or it just depends where I lock in with the drum beat or the guitars that it can make the vocal sound good or terrible but uh, no no major adjustment really not in not in terms of tuning for sure we tune like we've we tune to drop f and we've not we don't need to change the tune into for the vocals i don't think it goes any farther than that <laughs> i think one band tunes to drop e i mean god knows why but I'm sure someone out there must do that. I mean, there's always what there's always somebody who will will take it like one further, yeah. one lower, one louder, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, but that that's what I was suspecting. I was like, I think you guys are just as far as you can go anyway. So yeah, pretty much. Um, that's pretty much where you're at. Mm -hmm. um, what's your listening environment like on stage? Are you a monitors person, a floor person, or an in ears person? Um, um, I, I, I have, I do own in-ear monitors and I got custom, custom made in-ear monitors by ACS custom, but I've not used them very much. However, I am going to start using them when we start touring properly for a festival show, just a one-off. I just have my, um, again, I've got molded ear defend earplugs. Okay. They're, they're attenuated to like 17 decibels. So for a festival show, oh, okay. normally I'll just use them or nothing at all if it's a one-off. But if it's a festival but it's indoors, I'll usually wear them then as well because the stage sound can be a, can often be a lot louder then. But if I'm on tour, I'll always use my um, my earplugs. 
I think I'm going to start yeah, using uh, the in-ear monitors soon because I think that'll be a, I think that'll be really cool. Yeah, be, uh, that's cool that you are uh, interesting that you're wearing earplugs on stage um, yeah. because it does help you hear. You feel like it helps you hear yourself a little bit better inside your head. Yeah, yeah. The the earplugs that I've got are like custom molded. They've they're attenuated to 17 decibels. So that's a flat reduction, so it doesn't make everything sound muffled. It's not like those foam earplugs you put in that you wear on a building site. You know, these yeah. ones are like custom molded. Um, so they're very comfortable and stuff. You don't really know they're in. And once you play the first song, you don't realize that the volumes come down. So, wow. Yeah. Like you don't, you don't realize it because it just everything seems so natural, even though it is a bit quiet, obviously. So yeah, I think I'd rather That's wear them and, and turn the monitors up than, uh, okay. than wear in ears in most settings. Where any monitors, sorry, but I think I might start making use of them over the uh, when we start touring longer again. I think it'll just be better for my hearing, and also if we've got our own sound guy who's used to them, then it's a quick setup. It's only when we've got like a different sound guy tonight, it just feels like it's going to be a bit of a pain to like communicate my mix to a new person every day. So that that also puts me off using any monitors on a on a tour. Unless I've got our own sound person. Yeah, that is because every night it's going to be completely different. And in, they are in your ears. So if it yeah. is bad, it's like it's very problematic. Yeah. When it's good, it's great. But when it's bad, it's awful. So Yeah, I know. Imagine, yeah. What do you like to have in your floor monitors? Do you like to hear your own vocals? Yeah. The only thing I don't have in there is Chris's bass and Chris's vocals. So I have a bit of my guitar, my vocals, and then kick and snare. Because um, and the reason why I don't have Chris's vocals or bass is because a lot of the songs were written as a two piece, or a lot of the riffs were. I'm I, I, a lot of the riffs I came up just playing along to a drum machine. Um, so I kind of like I enjoy playing live. I want to feel Chris's bass, and I want to hear it too. But I don't want it to be like just as loud as my guitar and my vocals. I always find that a bit off-putting. I don't know what I don't know how he feels about that. I hope he doesn't feel rejected. So, Chris, I'm sorry if you that's <laughs> value. I do value you, Chris. It's just for some reason that's just a habit I've gotten into, and I quite like it. But also, too, you guys have amps on stage. It's just a more of like a hearing less of it. You're definitely still hearing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you know what I mean. It's just more that it's not like directly in your monitor. You know, which is that's more of what you're referencing for your singing. And I would imagine your guitar playing is a lot more of a reference for you vocally. Yeah. As far as pitch goes, plus you guys are tuned super low as well. So yeah, Chris's bass is often. We do tune quite low in it. He obviously uses, well, it's not obvious, but he uses distortion on his bass. So it, it, for that reason, it's it's normally quite inarticulate when it comes through the monitors. Mm. So I may as well not have it there because I can feel what he's playing. I can always sense the notes he's playing from from across the stage. Yeah. I don't feel the need to have it in my monitors as well. That'd be too much. Yeah, exactly. Uh, bass frequencies, you can physically feel so that helps a great deal you don't have to hear them as much you know yeah so what's next so you're getting get ready for these festivals when do you take off again next when's the next date we fly out to sao paulo on wednesday next week oh that's so exciting oh my gosh yeah wednesday the second i think it is Is that right so not next week Uh, the week after yeah. yeah wednesday the second of september i think it is and then we play on the Friday that week, which I guess is the fourth. And then we fly home the next day. 
So it's going to be crazy. Sick. Well, you're going to have an amazing time. You're going to have an amazing time in Brazil. Yeah. Where should people follow you guys and you individually if they want to keep up with what you're doing, check out some of the updates from the festivals, check out your tour dates? Well, I think the best place is probably Instagram. Like we're on there as Hail Conan. And I've got an Instagram too. My name on there is Slay All Giants. Nice. Yeah. We've got a link tree profile as well. So link tr.ee and then forward slash hail conan we got like we got a new album out friday and there's links on there where people can buy the new album if they want to get it in a glow in the dark variant which we are selling at the moment that's really cool oh that's exciting mm. so album and festivals it's going to be a killer rest of the year it looks like for you guys yeah it should be good yeah well thank you so much for sitting down with me today and um talking to us about your vocals and your journey and uh we really appreciate it thank you so much for being on the podcast today you're welcome nice to talk to you and have a nice day yes thanks a lot john that wraps up this episode of the voice hacks podcast thank you so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe rate and review the show 